We all have scary thoughts, right? One of my most frequent ones is, did I leave the stove on at home? And I'm actually not afraid of the house burning down. I'm afraid of my wife finding it before I turn it off. Uh, Sorry. I've gone to a wedding next weekend, and I've already accepted that I don't think I can fit in those dress pants, right? That's a scary thought. New Year's resolution. Woo! Uh, if you guys watched the Colts game last night, scary thought is, is Nico Collins open again? Is Nico Collins open now? I don't know. I'm upset. There are scarier thoughts than those. One of the most terrifying thoughts is, what if I'm wrong? Right? Like, I've got the offer letter in front of me, new job, new role, new pay, but what if I'm wrong? I bought the ring, but I haven't asked her to marry me yet. I, I, I think so, but, but I don't know. But, but what if I'm wrong, right? That, but what if I'm wrong question? That's scary. And I think it is scariest when it comes to God and faith, all right? Here's why. If God is real then how we respond to God is the most significant decision impact of our life for now and forever. And if he's not, well then following him the way he invites us to follow him would be the biggest waste of our one life ever. And so when it comes to God and faith, but what if I'm wrong, I think is the scariest question. Now, sometimes... It's like big and is God real, but sometimes it looks different, right? In your life and my life, maybe it's, well, I, I believe in God. I, I started to follow him. I got baptized, but, but I, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm a little iffy. What, what if I'm wrong? Or maybe, God, I have cancer right now, and I, I'm going through it, and, and I know you've got this, but what if I'm wrong? Or, God, I'm in the middle of a job loss or a relationship change, or, and you just, you just fill in the blank. And when we go to God, and then there's that, but what if I'm wrong piece to it? And that's scary. So what are we supposed to do with doubt? Well, we're going to be talking about doubt and deconstruction and some really hard conversations over the next few weeks. We're kicking off a new series called Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt. Um, just kinda, as we're kind of starting this series, I want to separate two things for us. I want to separate doubt and deconstruction. So let's start with doubt. All right, doubt, here's our definition, it's a feeling of uncertainty. This is both a thought and an emotion, all right? Doubt, it, it's that question, it's that, but what if I'm wrong, or, or what about, right? A feeling or uncertainty, a feeling of uncertainty. Uh, I want to separate that from deconstruction, because deconstruction is different from doubt. Uh, it's something that's trending on TikTok and has been and might continue to be, um, especially when it comes about people and faith and people leaving faith. And So I wanted to give you guys a definition for deconstruction. And I, I did the history of it. The origins of deconstruction are actually a method of literary criticism to better understand or interpret something that is written down, not what you'll see on TikTok right now. And I Googled it to give you guys a good definition, and there's not one. Um, because there's so many different definitions, and it means different things to different people. But I needed something to put here, so I made one up. All right? Here's our definition for deconstruction. All right? Closely examining previously held beliefs. Now, phrased that way, that's, that's not a bad thing. That, that can actually be a really good thing, a healthy thing, right? The Bible talks about how we're called to be able to give a reason for our faith. Like, this can be a good thing, but what's written right here still might be very different than what you might see somewhere else. 
Because people will say, I'm deconstructing my faith when they're like, I want to read the Bible for myself and see what it says. And someone could say, well, I'm deconstructing my faith when I read the Bible, I saw what it says, and I don't like it, so I don't want to do it, so I'm deconstructing that part. Like, deconstruction is very wide in what that means. Today we're talking about doubt. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about maybe some of the hard questions, hard conversations that cause people to either deconstruct or doubt. But today we're talking about doubt itself, that feeling of uncertainty. What are we supposed to do with that? That, But what if I'm wrong? Well, there's a lot in the Bible about doubt, but I want to draw our attention to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. I want to set the scene. Here's what's going on here, all right? So Jesus and some of his disciples have been on top of a mountain. They've had an amazing experience with God, and they're coming down. And at the bottom of the mountain is there's a crowd. So there's some other followers of Jesus. There's some religious leaders called Pharisees. There's some other people who have been following Jesus' teaching. I just kind of picture, because I watched Charlie Brown Christmas, there's like those little cartoon dust clouds going on at the bottom, and you can't really see what's going on, but you hear people, and they're arguing, and they're yelling. It's like, Jesus, he touched me. Jesus, Jesus. And like as soon as Jesus is coming down, they run towards him as a crowd. And when they get together, the conversation gets a lot heavier, because there's been arguing, and there's commotion. And then a man speaks up and speaks to Jesus. In Mark 9, verse 17, it says, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And that big commotion gets really, really heavy. I want to point something out because we just talked about some heavy stuff. We have a man who has an overwhelming obstacle, right? He's got a son who has been possessed by an evil spirit, and nothing's fixed it. And he brings the boy to Jesus, and Jesus is away, and he brings Jesus' followers, and they couldn't fix it. And then Jesus comes down. And we know because he brought the boy, because he talked to Jesus, he has some faith, right? There is some belief that Jesus can or might. But we also don't know if that's like, I'm 95% sure, or I am 2% sure, and this is just a dart throw. But he still brings him to Jesus and asks. Now, Jesus responds to the situation, but before he addresses the boy and his father, he actually speaks to his followers who failed to cast out the evil spirit. And so Jesus speaks to his followers and says this, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus... It threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. So Jesus is frustrated with his followers. And maybe that's surprising, but let's set it aside. We'll talk about that later, all right? And so we see that this boy with a spirit is brought to Jesus. Spirits are real. Demonic possession is real. Three thoughts on this quickly, all right? First is don't blow it off. Um, maybe you doubt that spirits are real. Now, there's some stuff that we can see and hear, and yeah, some of that's mumbo-jumbo, all right? And some of it's serious. There are real dark forces in this world, and that's scary. Don't blow it off. And second is don't live in fear. Uh, Jesus tells us in John 16:33, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. All right, we're not supposed to blow it off. We're also not supposed to live in fear. And then when we think about spirits, 
I want to also remind us of a third thought, and it's to not forget about the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit isn't this just like mystical, unhelpful force. It's not the force from Star Wars. It's, it is actually a he, which is a unique person of the Trinity. So in the Christian faith, we worship something called the Trinity, God three in one. So we believe there's God the Father, who's creator of everything. There's Jesus Christ the Son, who actually came down and then lived as both fully God and fully man, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that it is God three in one, three unique persons, all God, not God in different modes, one God, three persons. If that makes your head hurt, you have my sympathy. I feel the same way. But God, three in one, and the Holy Spirit, actually, when we begin to follow Jesus, when we follow God, the Holy Spirit actually comes into the life of someone who believes in Jesus, and he convicts us of a sin, he prays for us, he walks with us, he's a friend, he's a comfort, and we are also, and I put this in air quotes, possessed in ownership. And what I mean by that is actually, if someone belongs to Jesus and they belong to the Holy Spirit, we cannot be possessed by a demon or an evil spirit. Uh, This isn't the conversation or the time to go into all of that. I just want to say, hey, we're talking about a really heavy demonic possession thing. So three things, don't blow it off, don't live in fear, and then don't forget about the Holy Spirit. So, back to the story. Jesus responds to this situation with compassion. I love when Jesus asks questions, right? Because he doesn't need to know the answer, right? Jesus, fully God, knows everything. He's asking a question, but he asks it for the benefit of the other person. And so he speaks to the Father, and in compassion, he asks them, how long has this been happening to your boy? And so this is how the Father replies. And so the Father replies to Jesus, and he says, since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now, this father believes at least a little. He's even just seen Jesus' disciples fail, but he still believes a little bit. And also, that little bit is not 100% confidence, right? There's a faith, and it's a real faith, but it's a weak faith. He says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And then Jesus replies. He says, what do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. I was kind of curious, like, how did Jesus ask that? Because he's gentle, he's showing compassion here, but he knows he can. Now, I want to kind of refocus this, because I think that's what Jesus is doing, is he's refocusing this. He is not saying, all right, what percentage do you believe? All right, show me your faith points. How much do you believe? Show me, show me the faith bucks, right? It's not, it's not a televangelist thing here. It's a very specific question, more not how much do you believe, but who do you believe in? Who do you believe I am? That's kind of what's happening here. I've heard people claim that if you believe enough, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. Or if you have enough faith, God will give you that job or God will give you what you want. And I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I want to point out really clearly, that's not what's happening here. Because if we have enough faith that God will do something, we've taken God and we've actually put him down here. And if our faith is what limits or controls God, we're God. That's not how it works. So Jesus is not saying, how much faith do you have? If you have enough faith, I'll heal your boy. No. But he is asking him and challenging him about faith and where his faith is. And the father replies, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And it's, it's a very honest prayer, right? When we talk to God, it's a prayer, so I'm going to call that a prayer. It's a very honest prayer. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think a lot of us have probably prayed that or a variation of it a lot of different times. God, I, I, I do believe, but I, but I have questions. Or 
I want to believe, but would you help me? Because I don't, I don't get it. And it gets specific in our life, whether that's a family situation or a job or, honestly, man, you get to fill in that blank for you. But there are a lot of times where we want to believe in who God is, and then we still have questions. And it's, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's a prayer of faith, asking for more faith. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And we see Jesus respond to this prayer, not because he has to, but because he wants to. So when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. See, Jesus honored the father's faith. And he likely gave much more faith, not just to the father, but to the people who were there who were watching when he commanded the spirit to leave the boy. And then later on, Jesus is doing a post-game debrief with his disciples, right? Game's over, Manning cast is shut down. It's just Jesus and his disciples now. They're talking about it. And his disciples ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. And there we actually see kind of where some of that frustration came earlier. See, they didn't pray. When the spirit-possessed boy was brought to the disciples, they thought they could do it. And then they couldn't. They didn't, even, they didn't pray. Their faith was in themselves, not Jesus. So that's where I think some of that frustration comes from that we touched on is they didn't ask God for help. They didn't go to Jesus. They thought they could do it. There's a whole lot of stuff in life that we can't do on our own. And Jesus wants us to go to him. All right. Time to recap, okay? Story time's over. Recap time. A man with a spirit-possessed boy brings his boy to Jesus. Jesus' followers fail. The man asks Jesus, can you heal my boy? And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? And father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. Spirit is cast out of the boy. And then later on, Jesus kind of corrects his disciples and talks about how their faith should be in him. And they should be praying about it, not just trying to do it on their own. There's our story. What does that have to do with our doubts today? I think a lot. Um, See, so just like the Father goes to Jesus, we can bring Jesus our biggest fears, our biggest hurts, our biggest doubts, our biggest questions. And when we can say to Jesus, with whatever faith we have, in the middle of everything else, this is what I've got, this is where I'm at, and then we can ask for more faith. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. It's this idea that we can ask for faith. That's our main idea today, right? Ask Jesus for faith. Not always that smart, but that's four words. I can do that. One, two, three, four. Ask Jesus for faith. All right. We can remember that one. Ask Jesus for faith. Here's why this matters. Here's where this comes from. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if at some point in your life you have taken your efforts, your trust, however you want to describe it, whether it's your attitude, your emotions, your efforts, your trust, your everything you have, whatever you put your most value in, and you've taken it, you've moved it from yourself to God, saying, God, I cannot get to you, but my trust is in you, right? If you've at that moment had faith in Jesus, God knows both that you have faith in him, and he also knows every single doubt or question or uncertainty or concern that you have. And God's given us faith, but he also invites us to ask for more faith. 
It's like you're at Olive Garden, and the waiter or waitress comes over, and they take that beautiful little wheel, and they kind of start cranking out that Parmesan, and they say, just say when, and you look them in the eyes, and you don't say when, right? <laughs> it's like that, but better. Faith is like Parmesan, but better. We can always have more. We can always ask God for more. God doesn't look at us and say, say when, right? We can always ask for more, even in the middle of our doubts. Because I've got doubts. Um, I've had doubts for a long time. They've not even actually been the same doubts. My doubts have fluctuated, and I'm sure I'll have more doubts in the future. Remember, doubt is that feeling of uncertainty. We've all got them. So here's a question about questions. Is doubt a sin? I don't know. Am I allowed to say that? Man, I hope so. Uh, you guys realize they don't teach you everything in seminary, right? Like, I learned a lot about correct citations and research papers. Um, I still feel very unqualified for some of the questions I get. So I'm going to stick with, I don't know. Because I think the answer is really nuanced. And it might feel very complicated to us, even if it's just very clear to God. Here's why. I don't think having questions is a sin. But oftentimes, our questions, our uncertainties... Man, they might lead us to have an attitude towards God that might be. So the solution here isn't just to say, well, don't question anything ever, or well, don't ever have any uncertainties. But instead, we're talking about asking Jesus for faith. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to lean into going to God with our questions rather than shying away from him. Now, will God answer all of our questions? I don't know. It depends. Um... I do believe that if we go to God with a humble heart and real questions, like he meets us where we are. He doesn't dismiss us. He doesn't just blow us off. He does meet us where we are. But also I know God's here. We're here. If God is obligated to answer every question we ask of him, he goes down here. That's not how it works. So I can't promise you God's going to answer whatever questions you have or whatever doubts you have. But I can promise that God wants you to bring your uncertainties and questions to him. And God wants you to move towards him. And he'll meet us there. Switching gears slightly, here's something that's really encouraging to me when it comes to faith. It's this little four-word four truth. Jesus gives us faith. If you grew up in church, you might have heard the phrase, uh, God is the author of our faith, right? You know, the author is someone who writes a book. Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus gives us faith. What does that mean? Well, God is the one who actually creates faith in us. He gives it to us. There's this book of the Bible called Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about followers of Jesus living the way God wants us to. And our life is compared to a race. And it's talking about how are we supposed to run this race. And the author tells us how. In Hebrews 12 too, how are we supposed to live our life? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus initiates, he gives us faith in the very beginning that's initiated by him, then he perfects it. He continues to grow. He continues to change it and work it. All right. Time out, Reed. Uh, now, some of you, you guys might be tracking with me completely, and some of you might be, dude, I'm here. All right, you're welcome. I'm here. And also, I don't know how I feel about God. I'm not sure how I feel about faith, and you're using that word a lot. Fair. We all have faith in something, Okay. I drove here this morning. I drove on the right side of the road. I had faith that the car on the other side would stay on their right and not hit me. I'm very glad they didn't. I've seen some people in Columbus drive. Not taking it for granted. All right? We all have faith in something. 
But when it comes to God, God actually gives us faith in him. Jesus is the author of our faith. And that's a gift. I want to share one of my favorite Bible verses. Um, it's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? Grace and faith, that is a gift from God. Even our faith is a gift from God. We don't earn it. We don't figure it out on our own. He gives it to us. So Jesus, we can ask Jesus for faith, and he gives us faith in different ways. The first is that Jesus gives us faith to be saved kind of a churchy term if you grew up with it and if not what are we saved from why does it matter well that's something called the gospel all right it is the greatest news anyone could ever hear it's the news that there's a god who created the world right a god who was holy and perfect and he created the world and it was good and then sin entered the world and sin is anything that falls short of god's standard which like god is perfect and so humanity is actually separated from god by our sin. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, right? A permanent, eternal separation from God, a real place called hell without God or anything that's good. And yet God sees this and he knew this would happen. He's not surprised by it. And so he sets about and prophecies and tells people long in advance about a rescue mission that will happen where then God, specifically Jesus Christ, comes down, fully God and fully man at the same time, who, unlike the rest of humanity, lives a life without sin. And we all sin. The standard's perfect. We all miss it. And yet Jesus came down and he didn't. And then he died. For the wages of sin is death. But that's not a wage that Jesus earned. And so instead of dying for his sins, he chose to die for ours. So that the weight of our sins that separates us from God would actually be put on Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus was the payment for our sins. Those were taken care of. The wrath of God, which would say that a perfect standard means eternal separation, is actually taken care of by what Jesus did on the cross. Our sins placed on him. And so anyone who would believe in God and have faith in him might not perish, but have eternal life that would be reconciled to God. We sang earlier, I know how the story ends. And the story doesn't end with us being good enough or earning our way to God. The story ends with us being reconciled with God again, being made right with God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast, but God's gift. Jesus initiates that faith in us. And our response to all that is not to earn it, it's not to accomplish, it's not to work it, it's to receive what Jesus did. If someone gave you a check for a million dollars and you went to the bank and you endorsed it, no one would say you earned it, right? Like, they would know you endorsed it, but you didn't earn that. And God's gift to us works like that. We don't earn our salvation, we don't earn our way to God, but we receive what he did, we acknowledge it, and we say thank you. Jesus gives us faith, to be saved. If you have questions about that, man, if you want to talk, we would love to talk with you. Some friends will be down front. You can shoot us a message wherever you're watching. But our response to that is to admit that we're a sinner, that our sin separates us from God, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life and died a death he didn't deserve, and that we actually pledge allegiance to him in a way saying, all right, God, everything else, that, that's not going to work, but I pledge my allegiance to you. I will follow you. And when we do that, man, we are saved. And that is when we go from being separated from God to made right with him. And we do that not by our own efforts, but actually Jesus gives us faith to do it. Jesus gives us faith to be saved. He also gives us faith as we continue to walk and we grow with him. And he does it in different ways. And one of them is through the Bible. The Bible is God's written word. and It's inspired by God. It's one of the main ways that God speaks to us. We don't always read it. 
Let's just own that and acknowledge it. But Jesus actually gives us faith when we read the Bible. And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, but like, but where do I, where do I start? Well, a couple ways you can do it. You can always read the Gospel of John. It's my favorite way. Just like, hey, start here. It's an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. But then as a church, we also do something called the Ridge Reading Challenge, where five days a week we read the Bible together. Uh, there's, it's in the app. We've got schedules in the atrium on little pieces of paper. There's a Facebook group. Join us. We're going to read through the Bible together in the Ridge Reading Challenge. And then also, if you have questions about maybe like where to turn for a certain topic in the Bible, there's a website called gotquestions.org. I use that thing every week. It's free. It's fantastic. Gotquestions.org. And that can help you know where in the Bible to look for something. And Jesus gives us faith to be saved. Jesus gives us faith through the Bible. Jesus gives us faith through God's people. Um, a couple weeks ago in December, we did a night of worship, and I sat right back there, um, and I cried. Because I knew intellectually in my head that Jesus could forgive me for any sin, and that I wasn't separated from him. But in my heart, I felt nothing. I didn't feel it. And people are singing and worshiping, and that's great. I didn't feel it. I sat next to my friend James, and he prayed with me and prayed for me and reminded me of what was true, regardless of what I could or could not feel in that moment. And Jesus gives us faith through God's people. I sat in Adam's office and talked about stuff I don't understand. And God used Adam to give me faith. I sat in a bonfire back behind our church with a small group and prayed and talked about things that were heavy. And that gave me faith. Man, the other week I saw two guys sit up here. I was the one who was supposed to be talking. I just kept my mouth shut. I saw two guys were talking and one guy shared the gospel with another guy right there. And that gave me faith. Like God, Jesus gives us faith through God's people. Do you guys feel a group's announcement sneaking in here? You're right. To the best of my knowledge... My salary does not change whatsoever based on how many people are in groups. I'm telling you this to also tell you that my job actually gets harder the more people are in groups. And I am asking every single person who's a part of the Ridge in the room and online to join a group this year. Not for my benefit, but for yours. I have seen God work in my life and in my friend's life through groups. It's not as if this is the only way you can follow Jesus, but we've seen him use it. I'm asking you, please... Ask God to give you faith through God's people. Join a group. We've got a lot of them. We've got Financial Peace University. Does the Bible say, hey, you should have a course and a class on financial peace? No, it does not. It does say, bear one another's burdens in love. And one of the biggest burdens many people have today in modern America is crippling debt and not knowing how to deal with it. And so we've got a group that's going to say, all right, we're going to work on this together. We've got a group that meets here on Thursday nights called Celebrate Recovery, where whatever you have done... And whatever has been done to you will not shock anyone in that room. There will be no judgment. There will be incredible acceptance. You'll find a group of people who want to move closer to Jesus together. We've got small groups that meet here at the church, that meet in Bartholomew County, that meet in Decatur County. We've, we've got groups. I'm asking you to join them. Not because it benefits me, but because I see how God could incredibly use it to benefit you. Jesus gives us faith through God's people. And he also gives us faith through prayer. Now, here's the truth, all right? We all have questions. We all have doubts, feelings of uncertainty. And sometimes we get answers, and the answer just takes away the question. Sometimes, as time goes on, 
that question fades away. It just doesn't matter as much. And then sometimes we keep those questions and they stick with us. Through all of it, Jesus is constant. He never changes. He doesn't move away from us. And he invites us to come to him. We can always ask for more faith. When we have doubts, even in the middle of those questions, whatever they are, we can go to Jesus and ask. So that's how we're going to close out our time together right now, is we're actually going to pray together and ask Jesus to give us faith. We're switching it up a little bit, so I want to explain what we're doing. I'm going to kind of give you a prompt, and then I'm going to hush, and then give you a chance to kind of finish that thought with God yourself. So we're not praying just yet. I'm telling you what we're doing so that it makes sense when we do. This is a practice. God, I believe you are, and I'm going to hush, and then I'm going to leave it hanging for you. And then you pray silently. All right, let's pray together. God, I believe you are, and I've got questions about, will you give me, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus, right now, we pray to you and we're asking for faith. And we're asking it for every person in this room. God, whether that's faith to be saved, whether that's faith to trust, whether that's faith to grow or faith to take that next step, God, would you give us faith in who you are and faith in what you want us to do? Would you help us to know you, not just at an intellectual level, not just at an emotional level, but at the deepest level possible? Would you continue to bring us to you? And I'm not just asking that for us here, but for the church in Columbus, the church in Decatur County. God, your church gathered all around the world, people who have maybe already gathered in worship this morning or maybe people who will worship later. God, but... Would you give us faith? Faith to trust you. Faith to worship you. Faith to say you're good when life is not. Faith to give you credit when life is good. We love you and we trust you. We're asking you to give us faith to help us love and trust you more. In your holy name we pray. Amen.